Hey, welcome to the Most Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined, as always, by Mike Munzenreiter and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite. This week, we're going to talk about Vincent Nava's pig wheels part, but first, the blacklist, a list of black-owned businesses in skateboarding. Patrick Kagongo is the author of the list, and he's here with us to talk about it. Where'd this idea come from, Patrick? Um, I mean, other than the very obvious political climate that we're in right now, um, it's something that had been kind of... Um, it's something that had been kind of, you know, rattling in the back of my mind for a couple of months. Um, and I thought about it because, you know, Black History Month came and went. And, you know, we're living in a time where skating is way, way, way more diverse than ever. I live in central L.A. I live in Mid-City. And there's a couple small parks not too far from me. And the amazing thing is um, all the kids at these parks, they're all black and brown. Any major park in L.A., um, you're pretty much going to see the full spectrum of humanity. And that's such a contrast to when I grew up. Um, you know, I'm 38. I grew up in the, you know, suburbs of New York City, skated the city. And yeah, you had in New York. Yeah, of course, in the city, in the five boroughs any, or, you know, parts of North Jersey you'd skate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of black and brown kids uh, in the crew. But in most American suburbs, um, in a lot of the videos, weren't too, there weren't too many black folk. And I think that... Um, I think COVID, um, I think COVID, I think a lot of the initiatives to get people to uh, buy uh, the direct to, uh, direct to consumer, um, ordering from skate shops, doing online orders, um, that set off a light bulb in my head over the last couple of days. And I said, why not compile a list of all the black owned skate, uh, skate companies and skate shops? And, you know, if people are spending money right now trying to stimulate the economy, send them there. Yeah, for sure. Buy a, a black owned uh, board from a black owned shop and like, you know, compound your uh, your goodness. Exactly. You know, the concept of shop black um, and supporting black-owned businesses uh, during the 1960s and 70s, it was not only about um, uh, keeping capital within a community. It was about... Um, it was about showing strength. I'm a big believer in the idea of, uh, of, of organizing principles. And, for example, um, you know, I wrote an article for Jenkum at the end of last fall about... Um, organizing around skateboarding. And one thing that I suggested was um, creating a, you know, effectively creating a skate guild, getting a bunch of skate shops and skate companies to band together and, you know, show their political strength. Say that, hey, you know, we are businesses and we pay taxes and, you know, we have a voice. And, you know, it kind of carried over into, it carried over into this. I mean, we've seen it with COVID. We've seen skate shops that are collaborating on T-shirts and, um was it Kinetic and uh, Vu Skate Shop in Baltimore? They collaborated on a deck and a shirt. You know, yep. things like that really showing yeah. that um, this is an industry that actually has some some financial heft. And this is an this is something I figured there'd be a timely extension of that. For sure. Yeah, I think that like the the collaboration stuff, like with Lotties and with um, Vu and Kinetic, I think it does show that there's a lot of like camaraderie within skateboarding. And you know, we've always you know had a strong movement of support your local skate shop so i think that it's pretty easy to get on board an idea of like support this cause with the way that you shop so i think that the list is is a great way to kind of like point people to a way that they can help thanks so patrick i was wondering i know you um you were crowdsourcing did this pretty much come together today on what is it june june 4th the thursday that we're recording so like yeah, one day's effort and it's like thirty-five-ish different brands doing a bunch of different things. Like, 
I know I, I think I looked at an early draft of it. What are your thoughts on like how the how the list has taken shape? Are there I guess surprises? Did people bring brands to light that you weren't necessarily aware of their background or just their existence or like what what what's the learning process with this that you've gone uh, through? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of brainstormed it last night and I set out a couple of uh, set out a couple of DMs on Instagram and on Twitter, and then this morning I said, okay, I'm going to make this. Uh, this is going to be my project for the day, and. I think the biggest surprise is the spectrum of um, of brands. I mean, there's obviously the very you know there's ones like Hardee's, Illegal Sieve, Hops, you know, kind of like marquee. Um, you know, these are skate brands that people are familiar with. They know them. They've seen their videos. But just seeing this, like even these tiny brands that are just doing hardware, just doing like a, a run of T-shirts, screening up boards. Um, the internet has really democratized our access to these because previously mm-hmm. this would just be something that like, oh, this is a couple guys down in Atlanta. They, they make shirts and sometimes they do a run of boards. Now you have access to it. You can check out their Instagram. You can check out their websites, you know, check out their big cartel sites. And I think that that's probably been the biggest surprise, um, just like the spectrum of this stuff. And and also the fact that because of the because of social media, that these brands actually now have a possibility to, you know, there's actually a lot bigger chance for them to actually make it. You know, I think a lot about uh, the guys from Gangcore in uh, in New York. And those are, their videos are awesome and their vibe is just great. I mean, they did that, uh, they did that uh, joint last year, Black Business. It was one of the best videos of the year. I mean, it was just so fun and so enjoyable. It's, it's. It, it's beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. It's really, really, really amazing to see, especially, um, you know, even though I was, you know, had a lot of access to skating in New York City, you know, in my crew, you know, in a little town called New City uh, in Rockland County, just outside the city, just over the Jersey border. I was like the one black dude who skated. And there was always those like, man, what you doing hanging out with them white boys, man? Mm-hmm. And you fast forward some 25 years later and, you know, we're like, we're not, we're like in a post TV Williams era. We got <laughs> Ishadware yeah. is arguably the most talented, best skateboarder on the planet. You know, you've got, you know, Tyshawn winning skater of the year. You know, by a country mile. Like that was there was <laughs> there was no debate on that one. But yeah, it, it's like just seeing how many different types of things people are doing and actually getting to see a little bit of regionalism in what what kind of operations people are doing. Yeah, Patrick, um, what's your take on certain brands uh, response to, you know, what's going on in the country versus certain brands really tepid or lack of response for example uh fucking awesome donated uh 20 grand to black lives matter and uh you know that kind of thing so i wonder what your take was on that i might meander on this but um it actually does have a point so i used to i'm a digital product manager and i manage the creation of of apps and websites and i used to work for nfl media uh over in culver city and I was there during okay. the during the huge controversy with Colin Kaepernick's kneeling. Right, and right, right. It, and it's pretty amazing how much backlash that got, and how agitated people were within the league, within the media arm of the league. Uh, and I'm not saying anything terribly controversial here either. I mean, uh, it's not no, it's definitely not for. anything that isn't common knowledge either. So yeah, there was a, a lot of hesitation because I mean. 
there was a real fear that there was going to be some kind of a backlash. And fast forwarding to now, the temperature in the country is so different. And I think the presence of people in the street, like the sheer number of people are protesting, uh, to me, has really rendered a lot of the corporate responses uh, in skateboarding and also in um, large multinationals. It's To me, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter because... Hmm. The most important voice right now is the people. And I often am reminded of a verse from Gil Scott Heron's Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And I'll read it to you <laughs> um, because it's 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 really it's incredibly timely. And it's a little oh, excuse me. It's not incredibly timely because the references are a little bit really out of date. Like this is like old TV. But, you know, he says Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant. And women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people <laughs> will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. So speaking to, to fucking awesome donating 10, 20 grand, that's great. That's really awesome. That, that's, a, that's a sizable contribution for an industry where you know not a lot of people are making money, you know, are clocking figures. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. And... Money talks. Uh, this is America. Money talks. But, you know, I, I mean, there are, pe- there are people who, you know, I think there are people who have a, an unreasonable expectation that corporations should have to say something or need to be saying something. Uh, it's, great that w- it's great when they do, but I think the most important change and the most important voice right now is coming from the people. I think that that's, that's who is the loudest right now. And we're, because of COVID, you know, we're at a time where there's no sports um, sure, there's stuff on TV, but you know, there's it's nothing new. It's pretty much anything that's already streaming or anything that's uh, already you know ready. It's in the can and ready to go. You know, we're kind of in a moment where everybody's eyes are trained on what's happening in the culture, and yeah, it, that's that's to me. I think that's what matters. Um, I know there was a wrecking ball. Apparently, there's it's going on that wrecking ball trying to beef with Supreme because uh, they're owned by the Carlisle Group. Yes, yeah, uh, I saw that. James Hardy's in there too. Yeah, and, and you know what? Like, that's how capitalism is going to do. I mean, uh, Gang of Four, like the band Gang of Four, put it really well, right? You know, there was a lot of questions about how come you guys are not going to sign to an independent or or form your own label. You know, you're signing to EMI, and they said, especially because at the time EMI was owned by a company, a British company called Thorn, uh, who was a major arms manufacturer, and they said, well, because. We're all complicit. Nobody's, ha- you know, nobody's innocent. And if we're trying to put out some kind of radical message, then we want to have the largest platform possible. Same thing with uh, was it Rage Against the Machines. Said the same thing about signing to Sony. You know, we could criticize them for a lot of different things, but they introduced a lot of people to a lot of really. I mean, who else was going to put the Zapatistas on national television or the American Indian movement? You know, it's 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 not it's not it's not really black and white. Um, it's not really black and white. I don't think that there's any way for us to, um, I, and also like who, uh, who's judging? I think that's the other question, really. Who's judging? You know, is yeah. everybody judging always? Of course. And so, but I mean, like, who's what like, this podcast is all about, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and also like, uh, I think that I think it's, and this comes from also like, I lived in Washington, lived and worked in Washington DC for a number of years. There's a lot of people who actually can't speak out publicly because of a certain clause in their contracts. Um, I have a lot of friends who worked on the Hill, a lot of friends who were in both the Bush and the Obama White Houses. Um, You know, there's, um, 
you know, there are things that prevent them from electioneering, things that prevent them from creating, you know, making any waves. And while I may not agree with that in certain circumstances, especially this one, um, I also understand it. And sometimes, sometimes people have to do things quietly. And that to me, you know, I think it, it's personal. It's like what decisions you're making, how you're choosing to spend your money. That's what's really important. The performative stuff is not really, it's, it's the sexiest and it's what everybody can see. But, you know, one thing I tell everybody is that, um, or I've been telling a lot of people recently is that, you know, somebody had to pay for the sound system at the March on Washington. You never think about that. You never think about those microphones. You never think about that PA system, but somebody had to pay for that. Somebody had to organize that. And a lot of the, the ground level legwork is thankless work. And nobody will ever see you do it and nobody will ever reward you for it. But you do it. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, as a you know former D.C. resident, I live in uh, Richmond, VA, relatively close. Uh, what's yep. what's your take on basically the, the military occupation of D.C.? Basically, because they don't have a governor. So the president can basically do what he wants to as far as bringing troops in from uh, North Carolina or whatever. Oh, it's terrifying. Um, I mean, this Absolutely. is yeah. this should be a case for DC statehood off the rip. Um, and it, it also it, it really shows that we've crossed the threshold. And I have a couple of friends who were in that house on Swan Street Northwest, where right, the right. where the police kettled the crowd on either side of the street. So if you guys know DC at all, uh, it's like a little tiny street that's right not too far from 14th and U. It's right near the Black Cat. Um, yeah. it used to be kind of. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty Tony and, you know, posh neighborhood now. But back in the day, like, it's always been nice. But back in the day, it used to be a little bit rougher. But um, it's kind of terrifying to think that, you know, you had a guy who held 70 protesters in his house overnight. Hmm. You know, we've really kind of crossed into something that's incredibly dangerous and scary. And it's, it's rather telling that in other countries that uh, presidents and heads of state are much more accessible. And here, you know... You know, Trump's effectively building a fortress around the White House. It's terrifying. I mean, that's supposed to be the people's house. And, you know, we couldn't be more remote. It's terrifying. I think that um, I think that it should give a lot of people pause. And I think it should give a lot of um, First Amendment and Fourth Amendment conservatives out there. You know, they should really be thinking, you know, this is wrong. I think that um, there's a certain amount of uh, complicitness in, in their silence. The fact that people out here who scream about the First Amendment and about our rights as uh, our, you know, our, our rights as citizens, they're not saying anything. And you literally have, you know, you literally have an army. You know, you have active duty soldiers on the streets of the nation's capital. Where, where are these guys? I mean, just uh, just adding my t- own two cents from Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> interesting, just to say it that way, you know. Um, I'm in a I'm in a different neck of the woods than where all the, the the main protests were going on. That was South Minneapolis. I'm in Northeast Minneapolis, and yet you know tonight I think we have curfew for maybe tonight and into Friday, and yet you know picking up my kid from daycare down by the U of M, which is more central Minneapolis if nowhere else. You know at a uh, kind of a kind of a pull off a transit pull off right off the interstate where where my kid's daycare is. You know there are bunch of national guard troops with their national guard vehicles these desert tan gigantic people movers and there's an array of uh, state troopers and you know who knows what they were doing it was a bunch of 
bunch of troops, troopers of all kinds laying around and just kind of hanging out five o'clock PM. But just that presence, even, even in the most relaxed state is just a jarring thing to behold, especially when it's like that show, uh, the hand or book, I guess the handmaid's tale. If you've seen that, like just gnarly troops everywhere like you with guns you can't go this way you gotta go this way pull over all that shit like it's really uh getting pretty dystopian out there for sure it's it's gotten very very real it's um so my wife and i live in mid-city and it's been non-stop police cruisers helicopters haven't gone out too much um Curfew, I believe, was lifted for this evening, but a lot of the transmissions of uh, the curfews have been very, very confusing here in L.A. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that um, what's terrifying about it is that um, you know, the Army and the National Guard only sent out when property started being um, started being damaged. Mm -hmm. And it really makes me, you know, it really makes you wonder about why it took vandalism, you know, and, uh, you know, and a very heavy handed police response to get people to really start paying attention. Um, you, you know, the additional three other three officers have since been um, have, all, have since been charged. Um, the officer in question has been, you know, his charges have been elevated to second degree. But I mean, how much stuff had to get destroyed? You know, how many people had to be hurt and arrested and shot at tear gas, tear gas, you know, technically illegal by the Geneva Convention. But, you know. In, in, in these days, it's facts don't matter and laws don't matter, you know, and treaties right. definitely don't matter. Well, it's legal for us to use it against our own people, just not in like war, I guess. <laughs> it's I mean, it, it's it's I don't know. I mean, it, I'm wondering if it's going to end up being a long, hot summer, kind of like summer of 67 or even summer of 1968. Is it going to be nonstop protests for um, the foreseeable future? Um, or are folks in power actually going to listen? Like, what are they going to be the the immediate, short, and medium terms effective effects of this? And mind you, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. You know, like COVID yeah, is still with us. Like, COVID is still hanging out. It's nothing but nothing short of bewildering. Um, I, I can report from Minneapolis and having um, been a community newspaper reporter when Philando Castile was killed by police. Like, kind of the institutional response. 11 or so days, how, however many days are we are since uh, George Floyd was killed. The Minneapolis Police Department is essentially being turned into a pariah organization in terms of other civic institutions within the city that are cutting its cutting their ties from it. Be it the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board is a separate entity and they're like, we don't deal with MPD anymore. And a bunch of other, you know, Minneapolis public schools are cutting ties. And one of the most extraordinary things I've seen, and I think you kind of see it the way de Blasio is talking in New York right now, just in terms of fear of the police, fear of the police union, fear of the political fallout of taking a hardline stance. We have Minneapolis city council members saying, we're going to remake, we're going to dismantle, we're going to fundamentally rework the Minneapolis Police Department. I, it, it's extraordinary from my point of view. Um, one, one other point, having covered the Castile killing, you know, it was one suburb in, in the Twin Cities that contracted with another suburb for its police for its police service and down to the end they ended up breaking off the contract for you know really arcane reasons but uh you know these city council members where castile was killed went through gymnastics just pains to never 
actually criticize the police department where the cop worked who killed a man in their city. It was it was incredible. So like the four year shift, 2016 to 2020, I'm seeing is, I think, reason for guarded optimism. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much further to go from there. Um, it's been interesting contrasting what's been happening in New York and L.A. Um, because in New York, um, you know, the state of New York is is still kind of um, there's still vestiges of old school machine politics, Tammany Hall, that kind of thing. And de Blasio is kind of in a really unfortunate position, which he's terrified of the police union, the sergeant's union, um, d- disrespected his family openly by doxing his daughter who got arrested protesting. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Cuomo doesn't like him. He doesn't like Cuomo. And he is increasingly being revealed to be this this kind of jelly-like figure. I mean, mm. I think that I, I'm getting the feeling like he may never, you know, you know, there's the saying, you'll never work in this town again. I think there actually there might be some kind of quiet push to, you know, get him out of politics permanently. But I can't see how somebody who has lost everybody's respect can consider himself to be really legitimate. You know, he's really, you know, for a guy who claims that, oh, I like the clash and, you know, I protested in the 80s and I was I supported the Sandinistas. And now he's out here. He's cool with people getting their heads busted, you know, busted on the, on the bridge or you know, in a park or on the street. He's cool with that. You know, this is a guy who says he likes yeah. the clash. I don't know, man. Yeah. The, the closest comparison I can come up with. And I think I mentioned this on Instagram was like, it's basically like South Africa. Like it's a gnarly, basically racist author- authoritarian country where the police call the shots and they act with, impunity and they're all aligned with uh you know the leader or whatever main difference is in south africa there was like you know what i mean like a, a little more or a lot more organization i guess with mandela and those guys so it's gonna take some shit like that to really like make a, a fundamental change in the system with the yeah. police basically just doing whatever the fuck they want to yeah. And with, you know, re- with regards to South Africa, we are there's an interesting mirror image happening right now, uh, because in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, Mandela was re- released in 1990. Um, mm-hmm. The street violence uh, really kicked it up. You know, it really kicked up a notch in the late 80s. And oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. tire burnings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it really got to the point where there was some real worry that South Africa was going to collapse into a full-blown civil war, you know, which is something that was, you know, that was a frequent occurrence in all over the African continent. Full disclosure, my family's from Uganda, which is in East Africa, and we have some relatives um, who went to South Africa, which, let me tell you, like, that's how bad Uganda was in the 70s and 80s that people were willing to go to live in apartheid. <laughs> um, but um, also, there's, there's also an interesting parallel because... Um, there's an interesting parallel because there were um, amongst the really, really nationalist Afrikaners, you know, there was this kind of bunker mentality that sent in, you know, that kind of settled in. And oh, at yeah. that time, you start, yeah, you start to see this idea like, don't trust the press, you know, we need to do everything to become self sufficient, right? And you see that in Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, both of whom, you know, Peter Thiel uh, was German and lived in South Africa and what used to be Southwest Africa, now Namibia, which was a German colony for a little bit. And Elon Musk, who is uh, South African, whose father owned uh, a ruby mine, or still think the family still has it. You know, these are guys who came from very, very privileged backgrounds. And you can kind of see in their public persona that kind of idea of 
this kind of bunker capitalism, this idea that we have to be able to escape and this distrust of the media and you know neither one of them has ever revealed themselves to be friendly to 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 black people um and it's it's very 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 evident um it's just a question of we have a choice of which way we're going to go from here i don't know if i trust that we are going to as a nation are going to make the right decisions you know it has to be proven to us yeah i don't know if i have a whole lot of faith in uh the right decisions getting made getting back to you know skating or whatever in this event, as opposed to like the LA riots or whatever, skaters are really like on the front lines and shit. Like, for example, there was footage that I don't think it went that viral. It probably should have gone more viral of, you know, locals here in Richmond skating the uh, Jeb Stewart statue, which is like a perfect bank to ledge that one of those things that you drive past a million times and you're like, damn, that's a, like a fucking perfect bank to ledge. But it has a fence around it and it's a statue like you never would have dreamed of it. Shit like that. And that's a Confederate Confederate monument, right? Yeah, Jeb Stewart was a, a Confederate general. The one you might have seen more of is uh, the Robert E. Lee statue. That's the one with the big, like, grass circle around it. Jeb Stewart is just mm-hmm. kind of, like, in the middle of a graphic circle. Hey, it's amazing. It's, it's, um, it's, I mean, also, like, skating is in a different place than it was in the ninety in 92 here in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think that the fact that you have a much wider variety of people who are skateboarding um, and that skateboarding has become politicized and in some cases I'd say even straight up radicalized, I think that it's really, you know, it's really beautiful to see skaters out there protesting and to see skate companies getting involved and people putting their money where their mouths are. I think that that's really cool. Um, but, you know, it, it's... It ties to, and I think you guys have talked about this on a couple of earlier episodes, talking about like Ocean Howl and how people are starting to establish this nexus between urban planning and skating, and realizing yeah. that skating is skating is really part of the, um, you know, skaters are as Jane Jacobs, um, the urban planner, put it, you know, the eyes on the street. You know, we are we hang out at the bodega, we buy stuff from there, we know everybody, you know, the people on the block. You know, we have a kind of. Um, you know, there's, especially if you grew up street skating, you kind of had to really learn how to have these kinds of interactions. And, you know, this ties to the police. I mean, you could probably do, you could, I learned about, you know, I learned about, you know, I, you know, I learned about the cops as a, first as a skater. And then as I got older, as a black man, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't start getting stopped in first since I was in my late teens, early twenties and, you know, or getting followed and things like that. But as a skater, you immediately learn to start questioning authority because you could see, you, you saw cops who jam up a bunch of kids, throw them against the wall, taking their IDs, you know, seeing friends get handcuffed. Um, we had one friend whose family was quite well to do and the cops would always kind of let him just chill to the side because they knew the guy's father. He was a very, very wealthy guy. And he said, he was like, what you doing hanging out with this riffraff? And you know, it was funny. I, I, I talked to um, DJ who owns Kingswell Skate Shop over in Los Feliz here in L.A. Yeah. And he, yeah, I went uh, to do some curbside pickup over the weekend before everything popped off. And it was very funny. He said, you know, everybody remembers the name of the cop <laughs> or the cops <laughs> who used to hassle them when they were teenagers. <laughs> and for us, there was a guy who was like, I think he was XNYPD called uh, Officer Costa. You know, I'm sure you guys have him too. <laughs> oh, in in Minneapolis, it's uh, one, I forget his first name, but he's a uh, Burley, B-U-R-L-E-I-G-H. And I know um, Kevin Romar was on Twitter and Instagram talking about he got 
just you know beaten on in like 2011 arrested for skating downtown minneapolis oh yeah you know with a crew of 11 other white dudes or 10 other white dudes and um that notorious officer burley you know there's a there's a screen grab from the old s tour video that was in and there's there's officer burley right there Exactly. Um, you got anything in your pockets that can stick me? Spread them. All right. Put your hands hands behind your head. Hands behind your head. Get on your knees. Don't try anything fast. Um, you think this is funny? <laughs> double, doubling back real quick to the to the public spaces idea of you know being out there. One thing I've noticed is that like so many skate spots are also focuses foci foci. <laughs> excuse me are also where people go to protest so like or to make a point so like steven jackson who was friends with george lloyd called him twin steven jackson former nba player <laughs> you know i'm seeing all these clips of steven jackson at the hennepin county government center which is basically one of the few actual public plazas in downtown minneapolis it's also one of the best skate spots it's like virtually legal as of two weeks ago at least and there's Steven Jackson at the skate spot, which is also a gathering of people. I've been seeing on Bobby Warris' Instagram story, you know, they're meeting up at, at Pulaski to have the session. And then all of a yeah. sudden the protest rolls in if, if anybody else yeah. saw that. It, it's striking that, you know, the, the public interplay, the skaters in the middle of that public interplay. It's, it's just something, yeah, something, something that caught my eye. Yeah, it's like there's uh, like Blackhawks over Pulaski shit. It's like totally surreal and just crazy. Yeah, someone's gonna get some fire clips. I mean, <laughs> I mean the dude who fifty fifty the overturned car. I think you know he's got the the best clips so far. I thought Sody. that was five zero on five zero. Oh wow! <laughs> hey, oh. Nah, straight well, up, you know, Sodi for that Sodi for whoever that was. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just wanted to shout out the other clips we've seen. There's there's a there's a kid in Atlanta getting a three flip right in the middle of the fracas. There's another mm-hmm. guy who you know holds the sign and hops up on a ledge and wallies off. Yep. Yeah, that was in that was in L.A. I think. Oh, Beverly Center. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah Beverly yeah. Center actually. Yeah. That's yeah, that's like, wild that you could never do that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's something where it's amid all this like. You know, pain, pain on the streets, and I mean, it was scary up here in Minneapolis, just in terms of of the fire, and you know, people were talking about who's doing what. You know, if, if white supremacists were running around in neighborhoods, I know outside agitation is a controversial subject, but you know, that was the thing. It's it's nice to pick out the skate moments and have something to hold on to, and like kind of. It's not that part of the show, but to be stoked on because it is this like radical defiance. Yeah, I think it's, the uh, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, I I think skaters uh, above all else are opportunistic. You know, if if the spots if, if if you know shit's going down and nobody's over at the spot, you know, the skaters are going to go take their opportunity to to get it. They've been looking at it for years. You know, like that that uh, statue in Richmond. Like I've driven by it and been like, "Holy shit, that's like a perfect <laughs> bank village." You know, and that was you know years and years and years ago. Yeah. Also, skaters are doing different things. Like I saw they're doing on maybe Saturday or Sunday they're doing like a skate from uh, Love Park or the whatever bastardized shitty new version of Love Park to to Payne's Park to the skate park there. 
like as a protest that's pretty tight so yeah, skaters are definitely on their front lines there was a you might have seen it on twitter or skate twitter there was that quote from the uh I guess the Breakfast Club morning show. New respect for skateboarders. Skateboarders to me are like the new biker gangs, but the skateboarders are on um, our side. The biker gangs are usually on the other side, Correct. usually the side of the, the white supremacists, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the skateboarders seem like they're on our side. So salute to them. I, I respect y'all gangsters. But that's what they do, though. Their whole life their whole life is rebelling against you're cops, right. breaking bones for a living. They tough in you're a right. real way. You're right. You know. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I mean... I'd say out of all of the activities, sports, music, um, subcultural things that I'm really passionate about and into, it's kind of amazing that skating has revealed itself to have the most mature response and also, um, you know, it seems to be the most organic. I think everything else, like going back to our earlier chat about the corporate responses, like for skating, something about it seems organic, something about it seems real. Um, to see companies talking about this, and I could I could go in that direction. I don't want to take up too much of everybody's time, but I mean, like no, no, Nikel no, Smith no, jumping, no. Nikel Smith jumping on Instagram live. Oh yeah, and yeah. Mikey from Illegal Civ jumping on, and like, whoa! I mean, like that. I mean, that was a sledgehammer moment. That was, you know, they breached something that everybody's kind of whispered about. You know, they mm-hmm. talk about the concept of the whisper network. They said yeah, the quiet yeah, yeah. part out loud. And I think that that was a pretty powerful moment in skating, yeah. straight up. Yeah, bro. I uh, I watched that whole video, like, this evening, getting ready for this episode. That was pretty, like, one of the most powerful things, like, a pro skater has ever done. Like, media-wise, I thought, like, he was, like, calling people out, talking about, like, being in, like, the van. And people were, like, singing along a song with the n-word but like he's uncomfortable saying anything about it because he's the only black guy in the van you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it was crazy it was like super it's, powerful it's worth pointing out i randomly came upon it uh kyle walker did a mea culpa video on instagram for that for that very purpose <laughs> oh yeah yeah because it was i mean like yeah it was pretty obvious to whom he was referring you know what i mean with the sody trip and all that shit yeah, I didn't know. It, that. it opens up. It also opens up like a pretty interesting conversation because I mean we're living in a Renaissance era. Like was it was it like 2018? A couple of years ago that they said that uh, folks were saying that 2018 was like the best year for skate videos since like 93 or 94, yeah. maybe yeah, even 96. Yeah. And like we got like you could probably have a whole conversation about what music you put in a video. And what kind of effect that that's going to have. And, you know, again, not diving too deep into it. You know, you go to a skate park in anywhere in L.A. It's it's very, you know, it's funny. It's funny how you see, like, young cats who will drop the N-word just like regular. I think, and, and I don't blame it on skating. That's, like, to me, I, I view that as more of, like, a hip-hop thing and, like, world star. Big thing being world star, right? Um, and... I don't know. I mean, just like how, just the fact that people are that like, people have breached that subject and are actually starting to talk about it and think about it, I think is is something that's pretty powerful. And it, but again, it, like it goes back, back to my point that you know, skating is skating is moving. Skating is move like as you know is moving is like moving at a pretty fast clip into the 21st mm-hmm. century. And it's amazing seeing a lot of other things like like I still think like yeah, in professional sports. I think the response is straight up weak. Straight up oh, yeah. weak. It's like yeah. it's embarrassing. The, uh, 
Yeah, the the best corporate response I've seen was actually Ben and Jerry's, who were they posted something on Twitter. They were like, "We must destroy white supremacy," like verbatim or some shit like that. I was like, "Fuck, dude, that's like fucking hardcore." That's ben like and Jerry's. <laughs> yeah, Ben and Jerry's, dude, dead ass. Yeah, I mean, Ben and Jerry's has been like... doing doing the work for a long time, <laughs> but yeah, their their post was pretty um, pretty stellar. I think it's it's very. I don't know if skate, skating would have been in this same space if this had happened, and it was happening 20 years ago, and it was happening 30 years ago, but um, with this kind of media attention and uh, the amount of discussion, I, I don't know I don't know if skating would have been prepared or ready or people would have been willing and able to step up and start talking the way that they have been. I mean, it really shows nah. an incredible amount of growth. Yeah, no, nah, there was there was too much money in the game back in like whatever in the early two two thousands or whatever. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have happened. Well, I think now we, you know, everybody is their own personal brand and has control yeah. of their own personal media network. So, you know, maybe Thrasher, Transworld, Big Brother wouldn't have given Nakel a a forum to speak his mind like he did on his own personal Instagram. So, you know, I think without social media we just wouldn't have access to this you know and certainly not at like was it the rate that we have it was it anthony papillardo the writer not the skater although anthony <laughs> papillardo the writer does skate uh wasn't it he who said that um he's had stories straight up just deaded like you know things that um skate publications wouldn't run because you know it kind of breached the you know it it, it kind of veered into this sort of territory um oh yeah and i wouldn't it, doubt <laughs> You know, like who, who, like who would have, who, like, because it's like the Big Brother Black issue. I think was actually pretty dope because being oh, young, was, when I was younger, oh, I was just man, like, okay, cool. Legendary. I was just yeah. like, oh, cool. I get to know who's black, and it was like, it was, it was, it was super dope. <laughs> it was, it was really great. And like, or like the Cream Campbell um, Transworld cover where he's uh, he's doing a crooks on a tall picnic table, and yeah, it's like yeah, where, yeah. with the South Africa trip. Like I love that stuff. That was hard body. Um, and like I couldn't get it. You couldn't get enough of that stuff back in the day. And now it's it's so dope seeing that you know the social media has really democratized a lot of uh, you know it's created a democratized platform for for skating. And especially that coinciding with uh, the diversification of skating, it means like you know you could have like it wasn't just you know you're gonna have like public housing skate team. You know you're gonna have you know you're gonna have total luxury spa here in L.A. I mean, we could like we could straight up go on all day. Like, how many people have really kind of used Instagram to kind of say like, "Yo, I'm doing some cool shirts." I think that's that's great. I think it needs to keep happening. For sure. I think even a little bit beyond the Instagram factor, and kind of touching on what Patrick was saying about the lameness of pro sports responses. Like, I think it does like Nikel being able to go on Instagram live and straight up call people out. There's like, you know, elements of the moment, but also the fact that like FA is perhaps the most influential brand in skateboarding right now. And it's, you know, the the, the faces I think of when I think of that company are black and brown. And so it just kind of it, it, it speaks to how much clout and maybe even like just hard power, hard respect these guys have within the industry. Well, it's cool that. Nakel feels comfortable enough or safe enough that he can call people out like that. You know, I think that in another time you'd be punished. You know, well, you know, like Thrasher, you know, notoriously has like kind of a shit list of people that are just like never going to get in the mag 
for whatever you know sins you know they rode trackers once or something <laughs> well like we we've, we've brought up on here about how there's kind of like an omerta be, be it with like you know the pro skate scene or at least the industry scene and like uh, it, no matter how much truth he was speaking in terms of just like that um pro skater line like nakel broke the omerta and you know i i, I think he's going to be better off not better off necessarily oh, yeah. but but you know he's going to sure. be fine because of it it's 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 an amazing thing yeah it's also the game has changed there's a there are so unfortunately you know Thrasher is pretty much the only major publication that's still doing print. I mean, there are others that do short runs. There are zines. Um, but it also, I think that um, I think that like, it got to a point, I don't know when this sort of broke, but I, I think it got to a point where um, people just got tired of that. And that there are now ecosystems, skate ecosystems that exist that are totally independent of what folks in California are thinking. And this is something I brought up on skate Twitter 11 times, but I'll bring it up again, <laughs> is that, um, you know, skateboarding is inherently Californian. And it was, you know, it was created, street skating was born out of uh, California culture in the 1960s and 70s. What was happening at that time in California? It was Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan. It was this hard push to the right. It was about um, a sort of uh, get off my lawn conservatism. It was about um, anti anti intellectualism, anti political correctness. It was um, it was you know skating is only recently becoming a kind of oasis for lots of different types of people. There was like a certain sort of um, you know, the the industry for many years was run in a certain sort of way. Like you said, Omerta was run in a certain sort of way that was very, 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 very closed off. I mean, you, you, for example, you still can't even have the conversation about a skater's union. And that's not by accident. That's something that's born out of California's history. Mm. You know, it's born out of skateboarding being part of California. This idea of just like, well, you're on your own, you know, handle yourself. Like none of this, none of this should be a surprise. I mean, like skating is the product of its environment, and for many years it was directed out of California and it was a product of California culture. And you know, like uh, there's that great most deaf line from like he's an ad lib in the song hip hop, and he talks about people talk about hip hop like it's some giant living in the hills, you know. But hip hop is a reflection of us, you know. If we're smoked out, hip hop's going to be smoked out. If we're conscious, mm -hmm. hip hop's going to be conscious. Same thing with skating. Yep. It's like. <laughs> If skating is, um, if skate like skating has like a huge tinfoil hat wave, you know. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's 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 reflective. Like dog Alien Workshop. Like I'm surprised Alien Workshop right now it does not have some kind of, uh, you know, it does not have some sort of weird like Infowars crossover appeal. I think they did a collab at some point. I don't know if it <laughs> was did, joking, it ten years too they early. They did do Infowars collab. Yeah. Oh my god, like they would have been able to resurrect the brand heavy. If they leaned into that, but man, that's a whole Alien, other man, the uh, original Alien Workshop was so far ahead. Like, if you like, with all that like New World Order shit, like in the four on one interview section, like the end, like you hear like the marching feet and shit. It was so crazy, dude. They were like so far ahead. Shout out the original Alien Workshop, by the way. <laughs> yes. Okay. Damn, that was a good fuck. Damn, that was a good fucking brand, bro. Fuck. <laughs> I might go rewatch that that section after this podcast. It's worth it. I think Dill does a backside nollie flip over a tall hydrant off flat. Yeah, Dill. Pretty yeah, sick. that's uh, it's Carter. The, it's the best 
411 section of the entire <laughs> In the best four one one ever. Yeah. Shout out to John Drake. Ooh. John Drake. John Drake, the god. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah. Do you guys remember there's that Transworld interview? Um, it was like a. It was um, no. It was a Transworld. Um, it was like a road trip issue, and it was Alien Workshop with the where they had the two um, RVs, and like one was like like Kalis and Fred Gall and Lenny Kirk, and the other one was like um, Scott Conklin, Bo Turner, like. Like something crazy yeah, like that. I don't that remember sounds, what that sounds crazy though. That sounds like but, a good time. But and like Deer Deck too. And then apparently, like right after that issue came out, and right after that interview, like the whole team got cut, and the only people left were like Kalis, Deer Deck, John Drake, <laughs> um, Fred Gall, Fred and like Gall, yeah. and a couple of other people. But, like everybody else got cut. Like pretty much yeah. everybody who was in um everybody who was still left over from memory screen and Anyone who was in time code was just like that was done and man. <laughs> no, but yeah. Then, yeah. Well, as everyone knows, then they got fucking um, Wenning and Papalardo. It was like game over. You know what I mean? Yo. Those, are like, those are like the two. Uh, as, a sub- as a suburban New Yorker, let me tell you something. Shout out to those two. They changed the game. That trade show loop that was in four one one. I think they're skating the tortoise. They're skating yeah, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. It was crazy. Jed. Like that, I mean, it was like a signal going out. Like Long Island, Jersey, Rockland, Westchester, it was huge. Like, it, yeah. it, like a lot of people started paying attention to the inner ring suburbs. And I want to give a shout out to Paul Young, um, who's done a lot of stuff with Bronze Fifty Six K and with uh, with Mother or Quasi, um, who was one of the younger cats. Um, Where I'm a few years older than him, but he was one of the cats who like really went heavy on North Jersey. And Westchester, and even taking cats upstate, but like oh, yeah. Pablardo and Winning, yeah. plus Dylan Ave. I mean, you know, everybody started dressing like them. Everybody tried to, oh, yeah. you know, skate the banks like them. Like that was huge. Yo, know, everyone had like the one pant leg rolled up and shit. Like hell yeah, forget about it, dude. That was the move. <laughs> You know, that was that was the look. Summer summer ninety nine, <laughs> summer two thousand. Oh my god, you had to have one pant leg up. <laughs> With the, with the white tee, with the white tee is a do rag, you know, because you have like one tee that you know, like you have like one white tee as your undershirt, and then you have one you just throw over your head. Oh man, oh man. Speaking of fits, uh, uh, not too long ago, Vincent Nava uh, emerged from the sewer to blow minds <laughs> in his pig wheels part. The skating was gnarly, but the fits, the Liberty spikes. Uh, that's the real reason we're talking about him. Jason, what's your take on Nava? Yeah, well, the uh, most shocking thing about this video part, um, even more so than the Liberty Spikes, is the fact that, you know, pig wheels still exist. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen a pair in uh, probably since, like, the all-systems-go days. But, yeah, I, I imagine mean, it's like an add-on when you're making your Tomietto order. It's like, yeah, just uh, throw in a couple of pig yeah. wheels. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, this kid, yeah, like I've read the interview with Thrasher. It's like, this is kind of the new formula. You know, it's like you got your crew, you get like some Instagram clout, then you start a little brand and make a few t-shirts and blah, 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 blah. That's pretty much, you know, the no way, the new way of doing things. Doing things you know what I mean? No one's like, you know, it's like sending their sponsoring tapes like, oh, but you're sending one to Powell Peralta, send one the New Deal, blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> that's all kind of like do it yourself. But, uh, 
Yeah, the kid rips. Like it's all like you know, just hammers down rails and shit. But um, that one backside nose one slide he does. I mean, like if you can think of a better one down a rail, then great. But you know what I mean? I can't. Like out of the out of the fourteen stairs, he probably is straight up like sliding like ten or eleven. Yep. Know what I mean? So that that shit was pretty intense. Also, he as Ender, he does a Smith down whatever like a twenty. 20 stair L and like brand new like pristine Jordan 4s so <laughs> <laughs> I love that I love I, I love how destructive skating is that um, yeah. you know you have sneaker heads who are just like you skated in those why would you do such a thing I'm just yeah. like that's the whole point you looked fresh but the shoes were always gonna go the shoes were the first thing to go yeah yeah, yeah. so I mean that's you know I mean, he gets mad respect for that I, I remember when those shoes came out i couldn't get them because i was out skating or whatever and uh, the sneakers app wouldn't work but yeah like he gets you know my respect for that you know in addition to being you know fucking gnarly yeah it's he's it's a sick i mean it's a sick part and it's um you you raised an awesome point about um how a lot of folks now are just like why would you send a sponsor me video i mean i'm sure like early youtube era brands were just like inundated with folks sending them a link and just being like, here, check me out. And it's actually an interesting parallel to the music industry because, you know, being an A&R, you know, if you were working in the music industry for years, it was just like, oh, you would go to clubs and you'd see bands and you'd build a relationship and then yeah, you'd yeah. say, okay, let's figure it out. Then came MySpace and there was a period where labels and A&Rs just got inundated with URLs like, yo, check out my MySpace, check out my MySpace. And so now I think there's this kind of um, realization that you not only have to have um, a brand, you know, like in air quotes, you know, you have to have a brand, something that's marketable about you, but also like in some cases, maybe even a following. And I think what's been interesting is seeing people who aren't taking the standard sponsorship route and they're saying like, ah, maybe I'll get on a shoe company, but I'm going to keep screening these cool t-shirts because, you know, shoe company pays enough of my bills yeah, I can yeah. cobble together enough money and I'm getting sent on trips and like also let's be let's keep it 100 you know if you're a younger cat I'm 38 now if I was 21 living in a whatever apartment or a group house with a whole rack of people didn't have too much like you could you could live extra cheap like now I'm just like first question is just like where are we stay in um is it easier to get a hotel um what do I need to bring? Like all, you know, adult situations, you know, like adult questions. Like when you're younger, you have a lot more flexibility. I think a lot of these cats are realizing that they have a lot more control over how their image is going to be presented. And I guess for brands, it's maybe a little easier for them because they can say, hey, this cat's got um, a cool following. You know, not just like it's not just the number of Instagram followers. It's like who's following this person? You know, what what are they posted on their page? You could be a little bit more discerning, but. You know, you don't have to. Um, it's nowhere nearly as as difficult as it used to be. So what I want to know, and maybe I'm just an old. I'm also 38. Maybe I'm out of touch. What is these dudes' influences? Like the Spikes, the Jordans. Like, is this an LA influence that I'm not privy to, or like, where do these dudes fit into the spectrum? Dog, it's the internet. Think about it. Like, <laughs> Straight up, just they made their own shit. Exactly. You, 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 you magpie, you know, you take a little from here, a little from there. You watch like an old 120 minutes or you old you watch, <laughs> the, you listen to you, you, nothing is curated. You're, everything is accessible. So you're just like, well, I'm just like getting into this. I'm getting into that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm into a couple, I'm, I'm into a whole lot of different things. And there's also, there's no rules. 
there's 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 no rules like there's nobody there's nobody because remember if you grow up in the 90s you're getting g-checked all the time you know yeah it's just like now nah, you can't wear those shoes now nah, we don't rock with that brand you know <laughs> you don't wear that t-shirt you know like you you would you would get clowned for stuff and also people would check you for stuff because like f- fast forward to now um there's a skate park i go to sometimes um over in echo park and man like people go up, like you greet each other in the, like you go for an am session people greeting each other never happened at the banks back in the day you didn't just roll up the random people no. like like hey what's happening god how you doing man what's up good morning <laughs> no like, like, no one yeah. no one had no one had any social skills or anything it was just like it, but god you know like, <laughs> are you gonna go but i guess you know like but yeah you know like yeah i think that's what it is like and i think for you know for some legacy brands and it's weird that brands that when we were kids that were the, the new kids are now legacy i think some of them are just straight up confused they don't know what to do with this like like oh my god <laughs> it's like it's almost funny it's just like yo catch up grandpa what you doing yeah yeah I, i'm into navas and like the whole cruise seeming like chaos it's just a Super refreshing, like Templeton said, he jumped out of the sewer and into my life, and it's yeah. like still trying to handle this. Yeah, it's almost like like Blade Runner, you know what I mean? Just like a crazy like amalgamation of you know styles and shit in the future, using the internet, jumping down rails. You know what I mean? Kind of like you, you would think skateboarding would be in like a dystopian kind of cyberpunk. Yeah, exactly. Cyberpunk type of environment, like you know what I mean? It's yeah, it's pretty tight. I saw somebody describe him as like this is the character you would make in a skate video game if you didn't skate. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> yeah, hey. nailed it. <laughs> well, didn't uh, I think Templeton? You said on Twitter like skateboarding's got to have the their its weirdos, and I kind of have a hard time classifying the whole thing as a weirdo and i'm i'm also just because i wrote it down i do think i i I saw vincent nava criticized for being like contrived or something but i i really do think like skaters who are unconscious of their images are either like just boring because they wear like khakis and a white tee or they really do rule like i mean ali bulala who called him contrived ever like there's no real middle (laughs) ground on that what you know what I mean, though? Like, yeah, I mean, I've said, yeah, I've said it before. Image. It's all contrived. You know, yeah. like if you're like working on your kickflips to make them tweak better, like it, that's like a contrivance. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, or it's just like working hard to like get it the way you want it. Yeah, it's it's just different. I think um, I think a lot of younger skaters are really embracing the fact that there are no rules and there's nobody there's nobody. That, it's become, you know, skating is much more sociable and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's really, it's beautiful. It's amazing to see, but um, it's, it's, sometimes it does get a little bit strange, but then by contrast, like think about, I wasn't the biggest fan of like uh, the hammer era, you know, I still love, um, and you know, in my normal day to day, I you know I wear tight pants, but skating, nah, it's gotta be baggy, you know, and my wife hates it, but I rock, you know, camel, you know, camouflage cargoes. Yeah. most comfortable like army surplus cargoes the best the baggier the better like that's that's the move but that's just me but there was a couple of years in skating where like that was not cool nobody dressed like that yeah it's it's it, i definitely feel like talking to kids at the shop at the park wherever like there's some age cutoff point where like 
nobody's really interested in critiquing perhaps the way that um, our age cohort is interested in doing. Like <laughs> there's there's they're a lot more copacetic with skateboarding in general. Like yeah, let them do their thing. I'm doing my thing, and it's like there's 50 different things to do. It's uh it's different from what I any of us grew up with. But there there's I mean it goes back to the original topic. You know, it's as diverse as it's ever been. And it's also like, you know, trending. There's always not to not to call anybody out, there's always the comment section on Jankum to to remind <laughs> you that there's some like darker sides of skating. Yeah. But uh otherwise shit's in a really cool place. Yeah, I mean yeah. you could like uh you can kinda like pick your lane. You can be like uh whatever, DGK type like ledge lord, you can be like a overalls with one strap off type of like shirt tucked in like <laughs> kid. you can be like an anti-hero fucking diy transition type of guy you can like be whatever you want to you know it's kind of tight i mean that just makes me think of um one time minneapolis local dane vaughn rides for, <laughs> rides yeah. for dgk it's kind of morphed into an ultimate la dude posts amazing footage like every two days and will also like every now and then like freehand paint a picture of jesus and say you know like praise the lord like that dude is a freaking renaissance man writing for, <laughs> writing for dirty ghetto children like kids and i mean i knew him as a kid he fits in he, he was a little delinquent but it's just like an awesome awesome testament to where skating's at and like jamie thomas loves him stevie williams loves him it's great Yo, I, I think we should we should actually give skateboarding a round of applause because like you know, for such a rebel activity, the strangest thing is that there's always been like a um, a very strong religious lane within skating, okay. and like it's so like good, it's yeah. it's not even debated. Like like before, like remember, you know, um, Blondie Blondie McCoy dropped that part uh, skating to a Kanye gospel song, but you know, we gotta big up the OG Lenny Kirk skated yeah, yeah, legendary, <laughs> you know, legendary skated to a part. children's choir and you're just like and he had the ender part and you're just like yo it's fire you know it's like i don't really rock like that but just like yo you do you and i think that that's that's something that skating should be you know we should give ourselves we should give ourselves a little hand of applause that you know like yo and some aspects it's super secular but then there's also or even like what's his face jordan uh, jordan richter who converted to islam and is yeah. like he was like on, like on some cat stevens like shout out to him you know <laughs> it's like it's cool like it, it's you know i mean it, it's in that aspect it's actually in some ways it's maybe it's a bit more like a sport because like look at um you know many athletes you know all field interview you know locker room interviews like i just want to thank god you know just yeah, my family, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> yeah it's this part of the refrain well and that you know the the wider world of sports just makes me think of the team just in the way that like people are accepting you know Hey, we're skating. We're on the same team, and like it's a yeah. different camaraderie. I mean, if if at the banks it was you know not adversarial, maybe that is the right word. But like you know the look at the shoes, say what up type thing. <laughs> it's like, like it's a different interaction nowadays. But it's like oh shit, we're all in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like you got your uh, kind of referencing last dance right now. But you got like your Rodman, you got like your Jordan. On the team, you got like your whatever Scotty Pippen is kind of low. Stevie key. Kerr, <laughs> Steve Kerr does his yeah. thing on the you know, on the low. You know what I mean? Everyone's all, everyone's kind of different, but they're on the same team. Shit, so that's pretty tight. Yeah. 
Would Steve Kerr be like the filmer? <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. He's also doing the web store. <laughs> yeah. Like, Low-key like, rips, though. Low-key rips. It's like basically yeah. Steve Kerr is Beagle. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> like you would never know. Like this dude is actually nice. <laughs> shout out shout out to Beagle and his like his huge collection of everything 3-6 Mafia ever did. <laughs> yeah, he comes out with the really uh with the deep Deep three six mafia deep cuts for video parts and shit. I met him at uh, was it uh, that bar Black in Hollywood and uh, like Lachat from three six was a guest that night and it was the weirdest day ever because like <laughs> Flea from the Chili Peppers was there. This was like the most LA this is the most LA night out ever. It was so weird and it was just like he was super cool and Lachat was pretty cool and like I was like this is really strange. Like I'm not really hanging out with a member of three six mafia. <laughs> In a bar filled with skateboarders, I love that, over there. that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, LA, yeah. LA baby, mm-hmm. and like Flea is just chilling. Like, and he, like to me, it's just like he's like Loki is like he's not on the highest of my. You know, like I was like super psyched that uh, member Three Six Mafia was there. Is that terrible? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> hey, you I, know, it's, it's like Chili Peppers are one of the most famous bands in the world. I'm just like, nah, man, Memphis um, all day. <laughs> Uh, real, real quick, apropos of nothing, Kobe's last game was on TV the other night because we didn't have we don't have sports, and uh, Flea, it was in LA, so Flea played the national anthem on his base. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Sick. They, they, yeah, he's they that whole, that band has been a Laker fan for deep. They were like like hardcore Laker fans since like the late whatever mid eighties. We'll link to that in the show notes for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, frankly, just watching Kobe's last game again, I was I was I was pretty stoked on it. I'll bet you were uh, stoked on that excellent basketball game, Mike. Uh, which brings us to the end of our show, where we talk about what we're stoked on. Uh, Jason, what were you stoked on this week? Well, along those lines, uh, there was a press release. The NBA is back, baby. They're gonna do a little uh, finish up the season, starting on. July 31st, it's going to be in Florida or whatever, but I don't care as long as it's some NBA in form in like, you know, former fashion. I don't care if there's no fans or I guess there are not going to be any fans. That's what they've said, but just super stoked that the NBA is back. It's been hard. It's been harsh as fuck, like having a springtime without the NBA playoffs from my perspective. So super stoked on that. Also stoked on um, a little video, a little re-edit on um, Free Skate Mag dot com from um the stalin guys like um you know roman the slovakian thug lasivka i guess they've started their own brand called club the sport metronome they got an instagram going or whatever they're doing edits the that the latest edit is you you'll probably recognize it from like some sport class edits or primitive videos or whatever but it's still pretty tight just looking forward to what those guys you know produce as a brand because like as everyone knows like Stalin Plaza is the shit. Everyone's skates there is, you know, pretty much the shit as far as, you know, I'm concerned. So pretty stoked on that. Uh, Patrick, what are you stoked on, my friend? Whoa, stoked whoa. on a couple of things. <laughs> What's up? Uh, Jason, are you forgetting something? Oh, also, God damn it. Also <laughs> stoked on, don't know if the, if the, um, if the foundry is fired up or not, but still stoked on venture trucks available at your local skate shop. Pour them trucks. Could just, yeah, just fire it, just fire it up. Like, damn. Hopefully, those uh, 
regulations are gone now. Just you know, fire it up, pour them trucks. Uh, Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? Stoked on a couple of things. Um, stoked on small business, especially black businesses. Shout out to Gangcor. Uh, I'm stoked on cruisers. Never thought I would say this, but I got a zip zinger, set up a zip zinger. And yeah, like that's that's how I'm getting out around the neighborhood now. It's like a coffee cruiser straight up. Um, and I'm stoked that uh, Premier League uh, is slated to come back, as is uh, Serie A. Big up Arsenal. I don't have an Italian team yet, but uh, Spurs. Yeah, we'll see. Let's go Spurs. <laughs> wow. Wow. We might have to fight. <laughs> we might have to fight after this. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So I'm stoked on this week. Nice. Mike, what are you stoked on? I'm stoked on the Wesley Lowry episode of the Long Form Podcast. Lowry, uh, I think, earned a Pulitzer for reporting on the Ferguson protests after Mike Brown was killed. He landed in Minneapolis this week to cover the George Floyd protests. It's a super interesting interview about reporting on podcasts and just insights into how to approach that and just other elements of those stories and how those stories are made. As a one-time newspaper reporter who covered protests around the Philando Castile killing, I'm feeling a little sidelined right now, so it was interesting to listen to that and just, you know, be able to kind of step away from all the history that's happening around here and, like, think of it in a pragmatic, like, how would I work this mood? So uh, stoked on that. Also stoked on the fact that Kevin from Look Back Library long ago sent me my very first skateboard magazine it just showed up in the mail today like three or four weeks later it was the trans world from july 1995 jeff taylor's on the cover feeble grinding the san dieguito rail the photo feature in the magazine was on handrails the subhead was handrails don't call it a comeback who knew they had to come back in 1995 um <laughs> They were just Kevin, getting started. Just getting started, man. Wait until Jamie Thomas breaks you off. Kevin sent me the magazine because I saw it, you know, in passing on Instagram. And I was like, that was my first mag. I don't have it anymore. You might remember I was stoked on finding a box of mags in my basement. I actually found this trans world, but it is like 40 pages because I ripped them all out and put them on my bedroom wall. And um, I also one got a. Did. As one does. Um, it's also like splattered with Nestle Quick chocolate milk. So I'm happy to have a more intact issue. Templeton, what are you stoked on? I am stoked on my new hat. I got a like big straw hat for like being outside in the hot sun. Last week there was no episode because I was out on a photo shoot for work. And a couple people had these big straw hats. And I was like, fuck, I need a good big straw hat. You know, it's super bright out here in the summer. So I saw my neighbor had a big straw hat. I was like, dude, where'd you get that at? It's awesome. I need one. The next day, hat store. the next day, my neighbor knocks on the door, Whoa. has a straw hat for me. Just what? straight up. He, he was at the store, saw a straw hat and just bought me a straw hat. So I'm fucking stoked on my new straw hat and just like neighborly niceness. Damn. You know, it's. It's pretty awesome. I need one of those shits because I gotta mow the lawn tomorrow. It's reaching, yeah, man, every, I, it's reaching critical mass. I got a, I got a camping hat. I got a camping hat with the with the drawstring. So yeah, there yeah you go. I'm ready for it. Yeah, we, everybody needs that full brim. Hell yeah, summer Sick, 2K20. <laughs> we ain't playing. <Yes. laughs> 
For sure. Um, well, that's uh, it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes, uh, especially the Blacklist. Check that out and go spend some money with these brands and at these shops. Until next time, you can keep up with us online. Uh, Patrick, where can the people find you? Um, let's see. Hold up. So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Colonel K Speaks. So that's C-O-L-O-N-E-L, letter K, Speaks, right? All one word. Um, and on Instagram at P-K-I-G-O-N-G-O. That's me. And power to the people. Power to the Sir. people, indeed. Uh, Mike, where can the people find you? I'm on Instagram and Twitter at M Munzenrider. How about you, Jason? Where are you at? On the Twitter at Carbonite1994, on the Instagram at Frozen Carbonite, and writing stuff for quartersnacks.com. Should have something getting uh, getting posted next week. I think it got delayed because of all the crazy shit going on. No, I mean, snack but, man. Shout yeah, shout out, shout, out, shout out Snack Man, seriously. But uh, yeah, I think it should be going up uh, next week. Should be pretty fi- Should be pretty tight. Sick. Templeton, where are you on the internet? I am uh, on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Later! You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. Song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. 
the revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.